I'm Dave Breckenridge, and you're listening to 10-3. Amid a growing fiscal crisis caused by the price of oil, Alberta Premier Rachel Notley took the drastic step to cut oil production. The move is seen as an attempt to shrink the difference between the price on Alberta oil and global benchmarks. We look at how industry is reacting, whether it will help Alberta's financial picture at all, and how federal policy has played a role. It's Tuesday, December 4th. Before we get to our conversation, if you're listening to us online, did you know you can get each and every episode of 10.3 right to your smartphone? On Apple Podcasts or Google Play or other streaming services, you can click the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And hey, tell your friends about us. Help us help them stay informed. Albertans are unable to transport much of the oil that we produce to market through modern, well-regulated pipelines. As a result, we must sell our oil at a discounted price. In the last few weeks, this price cap has reached historic highs because we are producing considerably more product than there is transport capacity. This is creating a huge backlog. Well, the Premier came forward and announced that the government will begin to curtail oil production uh, beginning on January 1st. Chris Varco is a columnist with the Calgary Herald who's been covering this story closely. They're going to require the industry to cut about 325,000 barrels per day, and that will continue through the first quarter of the year. This, of course, is all designed to try and uh, improve the uh, heavy discounts that Western Canadian Select uh, crude and other uh, varieties of crude coming out of Western Canada are facing. They will review this on a monthly basis, and then it's expected that uh, when these cuts begin to uh, get rid of some of the oil that's in storage right now, uh, that they will lower the amount of reductions to about 100,000 barrels a day, likely after the first quarter, and that would continue right through to the end of next year. So how do we get to the point where a province like Alberta, which generally poo-poos government meddling in the markets, took this step? It's funny. I was just speaking with Alex Porbe, who is the head of Synovus Energy, uh, just a few minutes ago. And he was talking about this very issue, which is how does an industry, which is really free market, you know, right to its core, get to the point that they're voluntarily asking government to intervene. And he said, you know, back in October, when he saw these really heavy wide differentials of $40 plus, he knew that this was going to be some serious issues, that cash flow levels across the sector, including in his company, were going to be decimated by this. And he said, you know, he thought back to the days of Lougheed in, you know, in the 70s and 80s and wondered, hey, I wonder if this legislation is still sitting on the books and whether it can still be used. He talked to his lawyers and they said, yes, it can be. I think other producers themselves uh, we're, we're thinking, you know, something has to be done. The calls then came uh, that we need to have some type of curtailment strategy. Some of the integrated producers fought back and said, no, that, you know, let the market uh, solve itself. Don't intervene. But at the end of the day, the premier and her envoys talked to the, the industry and came back and reached this conclusion that a cut had to be made. So there are some industry players who are definitely in favor of this, and these are the upstream players, these are the Synovuses of the world, and you have other players who are not as happy. What can you tell me about that difference or how they're playing off one another? 
Absolutely. So what you really got is a dichotomy between, as you, as you pointed out, the large producers, you've got Canadian Natural Resources, uh, which is the biggest producer in the country. You've got Synovus Energy, one of the largest oil sands producers. You've got other sort of uh, pure producers who want to see a curtailment, and, and they've been pressing the government to do this. On the other side, you've got the integrated producers. You know, these are companies that have refineries downstream, and, and I'm thinking specifically here of Imperial Oil and Husky Energy and Suncor Energy, where they actually actually have a built-in hedge for low crude prices. So when prices fall, as they have done recently, they benefit by putting lower feedstock, lower priced feedstock into their refineries, and then they make their profits on the margin. So they were not uh, wanting to see this happen. And they responded last night with a series of press releases saying that they thought the government should have left the market to its own accord. It would have solved it with voluntary cuts. How does this all play out to help boost the price of uh, Western Canada Select? couple of different perspectives here. Number one, from the industry perspective, there is a lot of oil. I think it's about 35 million barrels in storage. This undoubtedly is going to shrink over the coming months. The lack of production, or the, I guess the curtailment of production, rather, I should say, is going to improve prices. And we have already seen on Monday a big jump in the price of Western Canadian Select. So that's sort of an immediate implication. The question really, I think, in a lot of people's minds is what is this going to mean for 2019? What is it going to mean for how much money companies are going to spend drilling for oil and gas? And that's still an unknown. So that's the first sort of thing to look at. The second one, and maybe this is more important for all Albertans, is the fact that this is a resource that is owned by Albertans themselves. And the government you know, had to weigh the pros and the cons, the fact that the industry was divided and make a decision for the best interests of Albertans. And it was very clear, I think, to most people that that selling oil at, you know, pennies or dollars uh, and at a huge discount is not in the interest of Albertans. We rely on these for billions of dollars of royalties and income tax, personal income tax, for jobs and employment. And so the government made the calculation that it makes no sense to sell us at bargain basement prices and that we're going to curtail and we should see higher prices. And because of that, the government is predicting next year, next fiscal year, we'll see a $1.1 billion increase in royalties. And that's even with the curtailment, uh, obviously reducing some of the royalties from those barrels. You mentioned earlier about... Uh law that was on the books going back to the days of Peter Lougheed. And back in the 1980s, uh, Alberta cut oil exports as part of a fight between Alberta and the federal government and Ontario. How does this situation compare to what happened in the 1980s? I think it's a really good historical context is that, you know, the 1980 National Energy Program led to Peter Lougheed turning down the taps uh, to Eastern Canada and to the rest of the country. And that was in direct response to the NEP. This is a slightly different, I guess, take on that, which is that the industry itself is saying, because of the lack of pipelines, uh, we want the, the production to be curtailed, that we're giving away our oil for you know next to nothing, and that the royalties are taking a hit. So this is the government uh, intervening to try and fix a market problem. But ultimately, this relates back to a problem caused by federal governments of our inability to build pipelines and have adequate uh, sort of takeaway capacity out of Western Canada to get our resources to market properly. We'll be right back. The National Post launched 20 years ago to be a distinctive and surprising voice in the media landscape. 
Though much has changed over the past two decades, what hasn't is the core appeal of a paper dedicated to conservative values, interesting voices, unique perspectives, and a sense of fun. Check out what you've been missing. Get 20% off a one-year subscription to the National Post with promo code HAPPY20. That's HAPPY20. So we've already seen uh, an increase in the price of oil, about 50%. Western Canadian Select is up uh, into Monday morning as we're recording this. Uh, Some oil stocks are up as well. That's an early sign that things are going to work. How confident is the premier and industry that this will work long term? I think there is confidence as they can be. And uh, I say that with the caveat because the fact that they obviously took this after doing a lot of calculations and doing a lot of feedback. The department itself was running modeling to see what the impact was going to be. But here's the rub. Nobody knows exactly how markets are going to respond. Free markets, free energy markets are going to respond to government intervention. I mean, if it was as simple as just turning back a switch, OPEC would be successful every time it makes a move to try and push up prices. And we know that's not the case. We know sometimes they overshoot, sometimes they undershoot, sometimes there's unintended consequences. And that, I think, is really the thing that people will be watching for in the coming weeks and months is what are the unintended consequences of this government's action? Yeah, I I saw one Alberta politician, uh, Derek Fildebrandt, former member of the Provincial Conservative Party, uh, concerned about what this decision could mean for investment in Alberta. Could could companies see Alberta as not a friendly environment to come into because the government has taken this action? Again, I think you're going to see split views on that. I, you know, as I mentioned, Sonovus is saying that because of this intervention, they are they are going to be spending more money. Uh, Alex Porbay, their CEO, told me that look, we had two budgets heading into 2019. One was based on a forty dollar differential on uh, Western Canadian select prices. Another one was based on $20. And while he wasn't prepared to say what those numbers were in terms of the exact dollar figure, he said it was huge, right? We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars here. So Mm -hmm. some companies are going to look at this and say, hey, now that we know that this market problem, which was created by government, is going to be managed or, or partially solved by government, we're going to take the chance and invest more money. There are other players, though. Let's not forget, Imperial Oil announced just a few weeks ago that they're going to spend, I believe it is, $2.6 billion on a new oil sands project called Aspen. Imperial is clearly not happy with the government's decision. I'd be watching to see, you know, is that project going to go ahead? Is there any other projects that aren't going to go ahead? Is there going to perhaps be some less spending by the integrated producers that might not have been there? I don't think anybody really knows yet. Um, so we're just going to have to watch, watch this play out in the coming months. Now, looking at this politically, um, Premier Rachel Notley is up for election in Alberta in 2019. There's been a lot of concern related to the Trans Mountain Pipeline as that has been stalled. She is kind of skating on thin ice politically when it comes to Alberta's financial picture. And some of the decisions he's made recently appear to be closely linked to her political survival. There was the announcement last week the province wanted to buy uh, rail cars to ship oil, and now the production cut. How important is this to her future? If this decision turns out to be the right decision, uh, I don't know how much credit she's going to get for it, but if this goes wrong, I think all the blame is going to you know 
lie at her feet, even though the opposition parties were calling for this action. It's one thing for an opposition leader to say, hey, we should curtail oil output in this province. It's another thing for the province's leader to, to make a, an official policy that one of the largest oil producers in the world, and that's the province of Alberta, is going to voluntarily cut 325,000 barrels a day. I mean, that's big stakes. So if this goes wrong, I think there's going to be a lot of blame. If it goes right, though, it's going to mean more revenue for the government. It's going to mean, uh, you know, more investment and more jobs, or maybe more importantly, uh, jobs that aren't lost that were at threat of being lost. Is there the potential to see enough positive spin off of this for Notley to get a boost uh, coming into the election in the spring? Boy, that's a, a multi-billion-dollar question that I don't know. I have a, a the crystal ball to tell me that. Um, I, I, like I say, I think this is really going to depend on how this plays out. If if the differential stays low, and I think if companies come forward and say we're going to spend more money because of the government intervention, I think she'll get some credit for that. But is this really going to change a lot of votes uh, at the ballot box come March or April or May? Uh, I think that's an open question too. This is a situation where you have. The government of Alberta, the main opposition party, and the third party in the legislature all singing from the same song sheet. Some of them are saying, well, we said this months ago, or I've been saying this for two months, but they're all coming together saying, yes, we have to do this for the sake of Alberta. And it's rare in Alberta politics to see that. Can you think of a time uh, in recent history where you've seen all three political parties turn around and be basically saying the same thing about a major issue like this? Well, boy, on energy policy, you don't normally get any kind of unanimity. I'm thinking back to the royalty reviews that Ed Stelmach did in 2007 or, or the review that the Premier and the NDP government did in 2015. Those were very divisive issues. Uh, in terms of when have they all aligned like this, I'd have to, I'd, I'd have to think back decades because, frankly, nothing's coming to mind that where they all marched in, in the streets together. Where are the feds in all this? Does the Prime Minister wear any blame for Alberta having to make this decision? Well, the federal governments have been sitting on the sideline as it relates to the curtailment question. This is not in their jurisdiction. And so they have, I think, wisely left us to the province to make the decision. But in terms of blame, well, that's that's a, that's one I think that there's a lot of blame to go around. There's a lot of blame to land on this government and the federal government's lap because of the fact that they're the ones who canceled Northern Gateway and instituted a tanker ban several years ago. And that project would be well underway and might have been able to solve some of the problems we've got. Um, they're also the ones who put in regulations and changes in place uh, on the National Energy, uh, uh, sorry, on the NEB as it related to the reviews of Energy East. They're also the ones who did the, uh, the consultations as it related to Indigenous communities for the Trans Mountain Pipeline. And they clearly messed that up because that's what the federal court uh, concluded when they uh, basically put that project into legal limbo back in August. So there is a certain amount of blame that absolutely can be allocated to the Trudeau government as it relates to this. And I might add to the Harper government before that as some of the problems that Northern Gateway ran into. Will a pipeline truly solve this issue? That one pipeline that we're waiting for? One pipeline is not going to solve this issue. In fact, I think most experts believe you'll need two or three pipelines. So I'll take a step back here. At the end of next year, Enbridge is expected to uh, finish and wrap up the Line 3 replacement project. That should add about 375,000 barrels a day of takeaway capacity out of Western Canada, out of Alberta, so later next year. But we are already... Uh, 
you know, overshooting the market in terms of supply right now by at least 200,000 barrels a day, and there's more production that can come online. So what happens after that line three gets built? Well, we're going to need either Trans Mountain or the Keystone XL pipeline to be built. And if some of the more aggressive forecasts for Alberta production, oil sands production rising in the, in the next few years is to come to pass, they're probably going to need all three of those projects uh, into the next decade or two. Hmm. Well, I guess there's a lot to watch for going forward. Chris, thanks for your time. You're welcome. Here's what else is happening. The price of Western Canada Select was trading as high as nearly 32 U.S. a barrel on Monday before closing at $29.95. Oil stocks for upstream producers also rose, with Sonovus up 11% and Athabasca up 12%. Also on Monday, Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe says he has no intention of following Alberta's lead on oil production. In a statement, Premier Scott Moe said while Saskatchewan understands the actions of Alberta's Premier, quote, the impact of the differential and how it is spread across our energy sector represents a different challenge to our province. Meanwhile, economists at some of Canada's biggest banks said Notley's decision could slow the pace of growth in 2019. BMO said growth predictions could fall from 2% to 1.8%, while CIBC figured the impact would be about a tenth of a percent. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Technical support this episode from Carrie Ann Sproul. Audio from Ed Kaiser and Claire Clancy. Thanks to our guest, Chris Varco. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.